0: Hey, deserving listeners, just me today. I thought I would answer some patron emails. This first email is from annual patron Maria from Washington. She says, can you speak to the Travis Scott Astroworld Festival tragedy that happened recently? We have witnessed on the Internet a number of heartbreaking news stories throughout the past couple years, but there's something about this specific event that I find incredibly troubling. At random moments, I am overwhelmed with anxiety and have the urge to cry thinking about what happened. I've spoken with others about it, and they seem to have the same response, trying to process the grief, the anxiety, and the anger. I'm not sure if it's the availability of the number of videos and photographs that I have contrib- that have contributed to the anxiety, though, or the number of surrounding factors that really makes you question your faith in humanity that make it truly disheartening. I'd be interested to know how these shared trauma events can affect communities. Do you think social media has increased the impact of these events? Also, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on the entire situation as a musician and a performer. End of email. Yeah, I've seen the videos uh, and the news stories for the most part. I'm not an expert on it, but if you're not aware of it, in a nutshell, what happened was on November 5th, uh, just, you know, earlier this month, there was a music festival called Astro World Festival in Houston. It was founded in 2018 by Travis Scott, who is a hip hop artist. Travis Scott uh, runs the festival, and what happened in early November 2021? The uh, it started off with with things happening already in that uh, in the morning, people. Broke barriers and rushed into the venue, but but the real uh, tragedy happened during Travis Scott's concert. There were thousands upon thousands, you know, it was just a huge, huge concert with just so many people, and there were uh, a, there was a huge press of the crowd forward uh, towards the stage, and those people who were in the front and they were trapped against the railings were either being crushed or trampled on. And 10 people died actually during the concert uh, in a pretty short amount of time. 25 people were hospitalized and more than 300 people were treated for injuries at, at that, you know, by the festival staff. Um, and even though, uh, uh, so this, this would be a tragedy in and of itself, but the, the real, newsworthiness of it is that even though there were ambulances in the crowds and lots of very noticeable unconscious possibly dead people and there were chants from the crowd saying stop the show you got to stop the show there's too many people there being hurt in spite of all this Travis Scott continued to perform on stage he seemed to be indifferent to what was happening it's hard to know but and I'll get into that more later but it seemed like He didn't really care. It also seemed like he might have even liked it or encouraged it or something. It's hard to know, but and I'm sure lawsuits are in the works right now. But he has a pattern of getting the crowd riled up, getting the crowd to be aggressive. There are videos of him going into the crowd and saying, you know, F that guy up, F that guy up and trying to, you know, basically inciting violence in among his fans at these um Shows And if you're not aware of Travis Scott or uh, his vibe, his his vibe and his fans remind me of hardcore metal fans in the 80s. Um, I would I, I wasn't in hardcore metal, but occasionally I would find myself at a show. Um, in fact, I was at a Soundgarden show in the 80s, and uh, they back then really attracted a pretty hardcore metal group of fans. And I was, I went into the crowd um, in Seattle at Bumbershoot and it was just a huge press of people. And um, to the point where you couldn't move, you know, you were completely trapped by um, the press of everyone around you. And um, I was separated from my friends and uh, I was getting pummeled um, so hard in my body that uh, the next day I had bruises all over my body, not from people hitting me, but just from being crushed by the crowd. And uh, I liked it at the time; <laughs> I thought it was exhilarating. You know, um, Soundgarden back then was was pretty hardcore. I mean, for music at the time, and especially their early couple albums. And you uh, know, the crowd took it that way, and it was um. You know, it's something I'll never forget, uh, and the physicality of it was part of it. And of course, there were circles of people slam dancing, and you know, sort of that punk dancing that is intentionally violent. And uh, you know, I, 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 as a young man, I, uh, I, I was attracted to that sort of thing at times. Uh, I, I wasn't fully into it, but so I, I think that Travis Scott's crowd is kind of like that. I think people know that. Uh, or at least some people kind of know or expect or you know it's sort of like people going to a hockey game expecting there to be a fight right like you don't hockey doesn't um, involve fights necessarily but uh, a lot of hockey fans will be upset if there isn't at least one or two fights I remember the Thunderbirds a uh, you know Seattle semi-pro I believe hockey team uh, I would go occasionally, and and if there if there weren't three fights that happened during the hockey match, it felt like we were being ripped off, and the uh, you know the players kind of knew that I think, and so when something happened, they'd be like, oh okay, it just seemed like it was expected of them, and and they delivered, and the refs would actually let the fights occur. You know, I I, I you would watch the refs and sometimes they would step in and other times they just sort of let the fight play itself out. And so I think that what happened at the festival was a, a sort of confluence of a lot of things, Travis Scott and his vibe, uh, what the fans were kind of hoping for, what they were kind of expecting. Um, and of course, other things that I'll get into in a second, but um so at the time, of course, everyone has their phone out because the crowd is mostly young people and, you know, at least, I don't know, a third of the crowd is filming, you know, throughout the evening. And and as people are being crushed, there are people filming people being crushed and dying and there are people being crushed and filming themselves being crushed under, you know, piles of people and because uh, it wasn't just being crushed up against the railing, it was uh, people piling up on top of each other and suffocating under, you know, just bodies. And, and just, I mean, just imagine, you know. And there, there are people screaming for help in these videos. It's really traumatic to watch. And uh, uh, as you mentioned, anonymous patron Maria, it's it's traumatic. It's, it's very rough. And uh, even though you weren't there, it's hard to process and there's a lot of anxiety about this. And so, you know, it's fairly important that you do that you don't watch videos. You know, just because a video is posted, like, oh my God, you have to see this, that doesn't mean it's safe for you to watch. And and I feel like I don't know if I feel like there's some awareness of that, like on Reddit, there will be a, you know, not safe for work or there's another label that they'll use. I can't remember what it is. Not safe for life uh, is, you know, N S not NSFL, not safe for life. That's a code word for you're going to see something pretty gruesome here. So, you know, and, and some people won't watch it like like me. I, if I see that label, unless I'm pretty sure that I'm okay to watch it, I just won't watch. it. It's not worth it. You you don't just because it's a video on a small screen on a phone doesn't mean it can't traumatize you. And it seems to have, you know, I don't know if you're going to suffer Maria from ongoing PTSD, but it wouldn't be unusual. You know, it, it certainly happens to people. I mean, therapists can experience ongoing PTSD from just hearing about trauma. So watching it, of course, is very traumatic. Um, so your brain doesn't know your your brain just registers it as a, an extremely unsafe, dangerous thing that happened. And it your brain doesn't know you weren't there. Your brain codes it like that could happen to me. And it, and it very well could. Um, but anyway, so there's all these videos that are being posted and then there's this huge backlash against Travis Scott, you know, because people were accusing him of not doing anything because uh, he just continued with the show as if nothing was happening, even though there were people dying and lots of people going to the hospital and on Reddit anyway, there the, the day after the show, There were all these videos being posted of other artists who would stop the show under much less circumstances, basically saying, look, Travis Scott was dealing with a situation that he should have stopped the show. He should have done something to help those people. And look at all these other artists who even artists that aren't beloved by, you know, by people were much more humane to the crowd. You know, they just, oh my God, they'll look down and they'll see kind of a press. They'll be like, hey, no, 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 let's stop the music. Everyone has to take 10 steps back. Uh, there are people being crushed in the front. Uh, we, because it's really the only way to stop this from happening because the people in the back, as they're pushing forward, they don't know people are dying in the front. They're just having, they're just having a good time. They're just like, oh my God, this is awesome. You know, they're, they're totally riled up. And Travis Scott is getting them riled up. They came here to get riled up. They came here to have an energetic experience and there 's thousands upon thousands of people and you know all the general admission area of, of the press of the bodies and and so ninety nine percent of people they 're just having a good time and they 're dancing and they 're pressing up against other people and they're, you know they 're trying to get closer it 's this thin line of people in the front usually who are being crushed and dying and, and they 're basically being p- crushed by thousands of people behind them, and every person behind them is putting a little bit of pressure towards the front and these people are dying and so um, anyway uh, at other concerts people stop the show and they'd be like everyone has to take 10 steps back and please stop pressing forward you know like you're not helping I'm going to stop the show every time y'all are pushing for I'm going to stop the show because we can't have people dying in the front you know Um, but Travis Scott didn't seem to do that and so there was this huge, a lot of hatred towards him. And then a lot of, um, you know, questions about like who the humanity of Travis Scott and the humanity of even some of the people at the show, like how could you stand by and just watch this happen kind of a thing. And then Travis Scott posted this weird apology video that I watched that. I don't know. It, it, Hard to know what's going on in his head, but the the apology video just it was it came across as pretty odd to me. Then there were accusations that the staff and the venue were negligent and to blame, at least partially for the deaths. So, as I said, over the next months or years, there will be a lot, a lot of investigations, maybe documentaries, uh, journalist investigations. Uh, court hearings, and we'll, I guess, get a better picture as to what the legality of this is. But the question is, you know, is he to blame? Is Travis Scott to blame? It's hard to know. He he's in charge, or he's. It's hard to know how much of the of the event he's in charge of. Right? He he's a founder, and I think he's a part owner at least. But you know, a lot of these artists they they hire venue and festival people who do all that for him, you know, uh, because he probably doesn't know a lot about staff and security and railings and, you know, medical services, you know, so who knows? Uh, but the question is, is, is you blame, like I said, it'll probably be determined over time. The other question is, is did he know? Cause I think a lot of people are assuming that he knew that people were dying because of his concert. And he just did nothing about it. It's possible that he did know, but it's possible that he didn't know. You know, it's possible that and and maybe y'all know more details than I do about it that that point towards guilt. But from what I've seen in the news reports and, you know, the various different accounts, uh, you know, as a concert goer myself, um, you know, injuries happen like at the Soundgarden concert in the 80s. I'm quite positive people were injured at that show—bloody noses, broken bones. I mean, it, it was probable. But a- as a audience member, I just was like, "Well, don't be in the mosh pit. <laughs> like, don't, if you don't want to get hurt, you know, don't come in. If you don't want to get hot, don't go in the kitchen, kind of thing." And uh, so, if I and I did get hurt, like I said, I was I was bruised all over. Incidentally, I had this like stocking cap on. And my nether regions were being crushed. You know, when you're being crushed by every direction, there are some parts of your body that are a little bit more sensitive than others, <laughs> let's just say. So I, I had to stuff my stocking cap down my pants <laughs> as a as a cushion, if you will. Um. So, you know, at any point I could have, you know, pushed my way out but I didn't, you know, and, and I knew I was being slightly injured. And if I got elbowed in the face, I, I would have been like, well, what am I doing here? So I'm guessing now I'm not saying that the people who died are to blame at all. I'm not saying they should have known better. It was completely not their fault, obviously. Um, So that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that uh, injuries at, Aggressive music concerts, which I would term Travis Scott to be, are commonplace. And so, as a, um, he's probably, Travis Scott has, he's probably had hundreds, if not thousands, of shows where there were um, injuries happening from aggressive crowd members. And so I, I guess that to be true. And then at this concert, he probably just saw maybe a little bit more of that. The other thing to consider, and you asked me this, Marie, as a you know, Maria, as a performer myself, you know, I've obviously never um, been a performer at where there's thousands of people in the audience, but um, I will say that when you're on stage and performing, there's so many things that you're focusing on and concentrating on that it's really hard to register anything outside of your performance. Uh, I, I've been to shows, I've played shows where there were violent people in the audience, and I had really no awareness of them until later people would show me videos, you know, I'd be like, S- check out this dude in the front row of your show. He's like elbowing people. And, you know, the guy was right in front of me as I'm playing, but I, I, I they're concentrating on so many other things in the lights as well. You know, it's just hard to to register that. And of course, if you're in the audience, it's right there in front of you, you see it. But so I'm not saying Travis Scott is to blame. I'm just saying there's questions, you know, and, and from the video, and especially if you've never been to a show like this, it just looks absurd, right? You're just like, how in the world do you not start, stop a show when there when there are people being hurt. And, and what I'd say is, if every show stopped when someone got hurt, no show would get past ten minutes. Because you know, especially show. You know, you go to a like a Duran Duran show. The people aren't being hurt. You know, I think I think of Duran Duran because Stacy and I went to see Duran Duran like ten years ago, and it was all old people like us <laughs> sitting in our seats and singing along to Rio. Um, there, but other kinds of shows that um, young people go to, and certain kinds of artists. Um, you know, it's real commonplace. So uh, I'm not saying that's right, and I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying, would Travis Scott have known, whoa, th- you know, people are dying, you know, and I got to do something about it. He also, I think, did try to address it, I think, rather meekly. The other accusation I think that people would have is that Travis Scott might have even kind of liked it because he, he has a dark tone to his artistry and even if someone did die I, I i wouldn't be surprised if he if he was like well maybe i can use this somehow for my artistry and my notoriety and it'll become part of my dark um, vibe and again this reminds me of metal hardcore metal in the, in the 80s that uh, i don't know of any specific instance but i wouldn't be surprised if there were hardcore metal artists of course not all of them but some a minority who would have slightly reveled in the fact that someone died at their concert. Not, not that they wanted people to die psychopathically, but that, you know, if an accident occurs, it just sort of adds to their, to their vibe that they like to get out there. Right. So the other question that I think is important that I think people are asking is, well, if he did know, you know, because, and maybe there are reports that someone told him like off stage like dude like people are dying out there if he did know did he care did did, did he care the people were dying? well it's, it's hard to say uh, there's a saying in show business you know the show must go on right if if you look at the videos there are thousands and like i said 99.9% of the people are just in the crowd without any incident right it's just the people mainly in the front from what i could tell and maybe travis scott is like well yeah some people are getting injured and there's some people going in an ambulance but you know there's thousands of people who paid money for me to perform and i i I have to i have to perform and the thing about travis scott's shows is he it's just basically him you know he doesn't have like a band to depend on really it's just him on a on a gangway just um performing (laughs) he's all on his own and if if things don't work out, it's, you know, it's all on him. And so it's possible that he was focused on the show must go on. I don't know. Um, the other thing people will probably ask is, you know, if he did know and if he didn't seem to care, is he a psychopath? Uh, of course, you know, I, I can't diagnose from afar. And there's, I don't have any background on him to my knowledge. So I, I can't say, Um, but you ask, you know, you, you talk about some experiences, Maria, of it, it's, it makes you question your faith in humanity. Well, um, you know, I, I'd be curious what about this event makes you question your faith in humanity. Is it is it that Travis Scott seemingly didn't do anything? You know, I, I don't know if we know that for sure. Um, I think that it's... Um, I think once the dust settles and everyone starts looking because there's you know lawsuits galore I think right that it will be found that there are multiple factors that resulted in what happened that Travis Scott um, may have contributed some of the factors like he should have stopped earlier he should have when he did stop, he should have done more things to really push the crowd back um, or help because the ambulances. The, the other thing is, is that when there were injuries in the middle of the crowd, they had a hard time getting the person to um, medical professionals because the ambulances were, were trying to drive through the crowd, you know, instead of having, um, you know, some concerts that there, there will be a medical station that's all, you know, barriered off so that if someone gets hurt, you know, they can quickly have access to people in the crowd and then they have a quick egress To the hospital from there. That didn't seem to be the case. I'm not sure if if that's true, but I'm quite sure that the venue and the staff and those in charge of crowd control and safety were negligent. I'm quite sure that that will be found. And Travis Scott, how could he, he can't possibly be in charge of all those little details, right? I mean, there's so many things that have to be in place. And We've had concerts like this since the 60s, so it's not like we we don't know what the dangers are. The other thing is, Maria, and I don't know how old you are, but these things happen periodically. And I'm not saying that's that's a good thing, but it, they happen. You know, There are concerts where there will be a fire on stage because of pyrotechnics, and then the emergency exits aren't sufficient, and then everyone dies in the venue, or... Um, And certainly there are many, many accounts around the world of people being crushed to death at the front of a concert, you know, because when you have thousands of people who are excited about an artist and everyone wants to get as close as possible to the stage, there's just this. You know, everyone can, like I was saying earlier, everyone pushes just a little bit closer and they push a little bit on the person in front of them. Well, if, if everyone pushes a little bit or even moderately on the person in front of them, by the time you get to the very front, it's, it's thousands and thousands of pounds of pressure on that, on those, on those people. And then you suffocate because when you crush your body, either against a railing or on the ground by a crush of people, you you can't breathe and you die. We all understand that. Like from George Floyd, right? So tragically, um, which is another video that can traumatize you, right? Just because it's newsworthy, you, you just have to be careful about what you watch. It can it can get into your skull, and you will have trouble sleeping at night. Um, take it from me, who has supervised a lot of therapists who have had vicarious trauma. I had I had I've had supervisees who work at uh, Dawson Place uh, near just north of Seattle, and and they specialize in children who have been sexually abused, who are going through the legal system and a big part of their treatment is to talk about their trauma. So every single client they talk to for the most part is talking about being brutally sexually abused by people often in their family. And the therapists are just absorbing and hearing all the stories and they, every supervisee I've had who have worked there has had vicarious trauma effects Demoralization, massive depression, sometimes obviously PTSD, uh, burnout, empathy fatigue, compassion fatigue. So, um, anyway, um, but yeah, faith in humanity that's that's quite a that's quite a thing, right? And 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 that's why we word it that way. Faith, you know, do we have evidence that humans are good? Do we have ev- evidence that people are evil? Uh, you know, there's debate, right? It's so that's why we have to have faith we have to have believe in our fellow humans and this event might challenge that uh, i again i it doesn't do that to me um what i see is a terribly organized event that happens every i mean just look at like the fire festival we did a whole episode on that like i don't think anyone died from that from that but that was a terribly organized event you know or you know, events are sometimes terribly organized. You know, you have thousands and thousands of events and some of them are just going to be, you know, when you, when, like if you work at, I don't know, some kind of tech business and, and you screw up at work one day and uh, a program doesn't work for a little bit, no one dies, right? Uh, but if you screw up at work and you're a concert festival organizer, people can die. So uh, it's just another example of that sort of incompetence did Travis. But I think, I think why it might be challenging people's faith in humanity is that I think people are telling a story that may or may not be true. I don't know. Maybe it is true, but I think they're telling a story that Travis Scott and maybe even some fans and maybe even some staff members do not care about human life and Might even actively get off on seeing people die, or you know, just it. It feels when you watch the videos like no one cares. People are just dying, and no one cares. And you know, these these bodies are being crowd surfed. Just limp bodies are just being tossed around, and that it seems like no one cares. But that's a story that often gets thrown around, like when you know, hardcore. Uh, punk and and metal in the '80s. Old people were saying that about that crowd all the time. I mean, look at that. They don't care. They you know their t- their lyrics are about the devil and they. I'm losing faith in humanity. But you know, being inside of that world, you're just like, no, you know, it's we're not sadists. <laughs> you know, we're not psychopaths. It's it's um we're we're angry at the world and we're maybe reckless. Probably, you know, actually, I would say we were reckless. We were young and stupid, um, for sure, and didn't understand the consequences of what was happening. We were trying to have an experience. Um, you know, were we sadists? No. Were we psychopaths? No. Did we have no um, uh, compassion for humans? No, we had compassion. Um was our compassion kind of limited? Maybe being young and stupid like I said. So I don't have a I don't have a reduction in my faith in humanity after watching all those videos honestly, but you know, everyone's going to have their own take. And then you said be interested to know how these shared trauma traumas can affect communities. Um well, yeah, these happen periodically uh in various communities where something will happen like this, you know, mass shootings, the the mass shooting at the concert in Vegas, the mass shooting in um in France, I believe it was, at the um Eagles of Death Metal concert. Um you know, these these are you know, obviously traumatic events that happens at, at, that happen at concerts, but then there's traumatic events that happen, you know, 9/11 was a traumatic event that happened for a lot of us and um it's um uh, what do I say about it um, i don 't know it's it 's probably too much to say, other than it 's a thing, and even though you weren 't there, you can be impacted by it and you need to pay attention to your needs and grieve and process your traumas as, as if you were there. you know then you ask Maria, do you think social media has increased the impact of these events? Yeah, absolutely. I mean the fact that someone is being crushed under you know, a bunch of bodies and they're filming themselves being crushed and they're screaming for help. And, and they don't, I mean, that's an inside view to the trauma that you would not have had without social media. And, and I also without everyone having a video camera in their pocket. A lot of the other events that I was talking about earlier, you know, people didn't have video cameras in their pocket and they couldn't post it places. So it's, um, it absolutely changes how things are processed. Um, on one hand, there's a pro to having our current technology and culture, in that if you just heard about this, you'd be like, "Oh, there was this hip hop artist that had this, you know, concert and ten people died." You'd just be like, "Wow," because you know, again, this this happens every now and then. And the thing that you, the thing that I would often walk away with was like. Huh, you know, I don't, I, cause I have a hard time sort of picturing it in my mind other than just thinking of a bunch of people pressing up against people and dying. Um, but when you have the videos, you, you see these, these little pockets of experiences that are happening in the crowds, you know, in, in the front, they're being crushed, you know, in the, the people just behind those being crushed are, um, being kind of crushed. Um, then you have the people in the back that are saying "stop the show," and then you have people on the side that are screaming at the staff and saying, "There's people in there dying and suffocating." You know, all, there's all these little things that are happening, and it, it gives you a much bigger picture of like what was happening among those thousands of people and those you know hundreds of staff members, and um, so. And like I said, it can, you know, it increases the trauma potentiality for those who weren't there. Um, You also say, uh, so, and that's a con. So, yeah. Uh, Someone else asked about this as well. Um, Patron Cam from Maryland says, how does PTSD resulting from one-time disasters like the mass casualties at the Astroworld Festival differ from PTSD resulting from long-term abuse? Many attendees are on Reddit from the World Festival describing their traumatic experiences, including seeing dead bodies, crowd surfed to the security section, seeing people die next to them, and desperately wanting to help but being literally unable to move due to being crushed by the crowd. Many of them will undoubtedly experience PTSD and are already reporting symptoms. I have PTSD from long-term child abuse, but I've never been in a sudden disaster like that festival. How does PTSD resulting from a one-time traumatic event like this, or a car crash, or natural disaster, differ from PTSD experienced by survivors of long-term abuse? How do the symptoms differ? Do disaster survivors with PTSD require different treatment than long-term abuse survivors? If an attendee at the Astroworld Festival were to become your client right after the event, how would you attempt to help them in an email? Answer good questions, Kim. I'm sorry that you were abused. Um, you know, just a side note here before I get into this is that I think that every generation has their 9-11, and it's possible that for young people of a certain age, Astroworld is, you know, their lesser version of 9-11 or, you know, uh, the the emails that I've been getting it seems cuz when i again when i hear this story i'm i'm saddened and angry at the staff and possibly at Travis Scott but like i said this this happens all the time <laughs> tragically and and uh so I, I i'm not i think if this is your first kind of experience with this and you can identify with the people in the crowd because they're your age or you feel a kinship with those people then and especially if you were there um then obviously it becomes much more real to you and i think for some people uh, it's much more real um so, uh, in the same way that if I heard about a concert that happened in, I don't know, um, Taiwan or something that where this happened, I, I just wouldn't feel connected to it cause I'm, I'm not from there. But if, uh, what if something happens in your hometown or in your country or with your age group, you know, it just feels more personal, it feels scared, more scary to you. It's like, I could have been there, you know, I've been to concerts. That could have been me. I could have been dead, you know, and, and it's, I guess another part of the trauma of watching the videos is these are kids. You know, these are young. I I, I don't know how, I don't know what the average age of these uh, victims were, but my impression was they were quite young, Um, either, you know, teenagers or very young 20-something people. Seemingly just, you know, regular young people. And uh, it's it'd be one thing, like... When I would go to the hardcore metal shows, they all dressed for that situation. You know, the main mosh pit members were people that, you know, had spikes and leather and, you know, they looked the part. They looked like they des- they belonged there. <laughs> and if someone got hurt, you'd be like, well, obviously you dressed for the part. And the kids at the Astroworld Festival who died, they didn't look like they i don't I, I don't know but they just look like they just got caught up in some fun and then died you know it it, it i think it has that extra level of of shock and tragedy to just see these ragdoll bodies of these young people just just um being tossed around you know it's 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 pretty bad anyway so cam you say you know what's the difference between a trauma of this sort and developing PTSD because not everyone will develop PTSD from this, of course, but for those who do, how does it differ from people who went through ongoing long-term child abuse? Well, we tend to use this spectrum between what we call simple trauma and complex trauma. Simple traumas are like you say, a car accident um, or like an event like this. Um, but there's some ambiguities there, but generally speaking, we'll call those simple traumas. And then a complex trauma involves a relationship often with someone in that, you know, a car accident, say, it's just like you, there's ice on the road and you get in an accident and you're traumatized. And later on, every time you get in a car, you have a, a trigger or every time you see ice or every time you hear screeching metal or something, you know, it'll trigger that trauma. Well, with uh, abuse from your family member or someone close to you, the associations you have the trauma, especially in, in the ongoing nature of it, the associations you have with the, the trauma itself have to do with people close to you, people who are supposed to love you and people maybe even that you love and depend on. So what this does is it. You know, it's one thing to be afraid of cars. It's another thing to be afraid of loved ones. It's another thing to, it's another thing to be afraid of close relationships, right? So that's why it becomes complex because it involves our, you know, you don't, if you get in a car crash, you could, if you really put your mind to it, never get in another car again. You could take the bus, you could walk, you could take a bike. Uh, you, you cannot get away from your need for human beings typically you know for most of us we need other humans we need to be close to them we need to depend on them and uh, that's why it becomes very complicated the and the ongoing nature of it how and the lessons that we learn you know if you get in a car crash and it was just a tragedy like there was black ice you didn't see it and, and you got in an accident you know you might think oh i should have been more aware but if it was just an accident you just think well you know shit happens and and there wasn't anything I could do. Whereas, when you're beat from the ages of zero to ten, there's all these messages that you internalize, maybe even explicitly from the abuser, that this is all your fault, that you deserved it, and that obviously complicates the trauma because it involves who you are, your worthlessness, you know, your deserving of this. You know, when when you get in a car crash, if if you were raised well enough and have, uh, you know, a a positive working model of self and other, you don't generalize it to yourself. You're just like, that was an accident. Or even if you made a mistake, you're just like, oh, I shouldn't have been driving that night. But you don't generalize it to your entire personhood, right? But when you're abused from zero to 10, you do. And they always do. It's like, it it was because I'm a bad boy. It was because I was asking for it. It was because I'm not good enough. So that complicates the trauma. It causes... Um, com, you know, complex PTSD involves sometimes f- uh, feelings of emptiness and wariness of people and deep isolation. Whereas simple traumas, not always, but simple traumas tend to involve the classic PTSD symptoms like hypervigilance and anxiety, and sometimes a dampening of your emotions because you're you're frequently overwhelmed with the stress triggers that spike massive distress in your body a fight or flight reaction you know lots of adrenaline being uh, pumped into your veins when a trigger happens avoidance of any triggers you know all those classic things but if you also feel emptiness and worthless and that you deserved it and it's all your fault and you know everything is your fault obviously that's that's much more um you know, often more detrimental and it complicates the treatment because as a human being, you know, me, they have to trust me. People have to trust me in order for me to help them. And if they have been harmed by people that they were supposed to trust, then it's going to be harder for them to trust me and my relationship with them will trigger them, right? They will tend to distort or transfer onto me things that happened in the past and and feel like I'm harming them when I'm not. You know, in, in other kinds of complications. Whereas, if it was just a car accident, they they won't have that with me. And so, you ask, Kim, you know, what's the difference in the treatment? Well, with complex PTSD, there has to be a lot of attention and time spent on relationship safety. Whereas, if someone came to me with trauma, having, for example, with the astral world, if someone generally speaking, hadn't been traumatized or didn't have any PTSD until that event. And then after that event, they had um, trauma. I wouldn't need them to have a strong relationship with me. I would need them to have a good enough relationship with me because that's a huge uh, part of the outcomes of therapy. And obviously things go better if a client believes that they're safe and that they can talk to me. But but I've treated people with simple PTSD in five sessions. Um, I can I can take them. Uh, you know, into my office, uh, assess them, and they'll they'll have full blown PTSD, like moderate to severe symptoms. And within five sessions, and I've done this before, um, with exposure therapy, prolonged exposure, and other kinds of um, trauma therapy techniques that I use. Within five sessions, they have no symptoms, and we check in months later, and they they continue to have no symptoms. Sim- know, simple PTSD can not always be treated very quickly. Complex PTSD takes years. And one could argue if you were abused from 0 to 10, you're never getting rid of the symptoms fully. You're only learning how to manage them better and lower them. So that's my answer to that question. But what I'll say overall um, about, you know, Travis Scott and Astrofest is we need to obviously look At these kinds of events and have regulations in place and have maybe even um, government officials who oversee these things and make sure that uh, because, you know, the other thing I'll say as a performer is that um, the safety of the artist and the audience is. It's almost like in our society, we just don't really care about concert goers or something. We're just like, well, you know, they're all like crazy idiots anyway. You know, this just feels like there's this laxadaisical attitude towards concerts because including the artists, you know, I've been on stage where I have been electrocuted by the venue's um, microphone system. And they're, their, you know, there's a, there's a ton of electricity on a stage. You know, you've got so much uh, electricity and there's a lot of potential for a short or some kind of crossed wire or something. And it happens, you know, people die uh, on stage sometimes because the venue didn't know how to wire a system. You know, there's a whole way of making sure that everything is grounded well and and there's no, uh, or there's limited pot. The other thing I'll say is that, let me, let me tell you, as a performer, um, especially when I was performing all the time, I learned that I needed to bring my own uh, pop screen for the microphone. So if if you see a microphone on stage, it's typically a a Shure SM fifty fifty eight, I believe. Um, there's a standard stage mic that almost every venue uses. Sometimes it's a Newman. Anyway, point is, is that you know you just think of that common microphone that you'll see on stage and. Uh, if it's a wired, you know, because sometimes they were wireless, but if it's a wired microphone when I'm holding my guitar, because, you know, there's a certain amount of I don't I don't I'm not an electrician, but um, if I because if, I I'm, when you when you on stage and you're singing, especially in a rock band, you have to shove your mouth on, into the microphone. You can't sing, you know, an inch away from the microphone. You have to be you have to be basically kissing the microphone the entire time you're performing. <laughs> Because if you don't do that, you can't hear yourself from the monitors. Your, you know, it, your, your voice just gets lost in the mix. And so, um, and a lot of, you know, artists do this, at, you know, these sort of, um, low budget venues. And so I would be playing my guitar and touching my guitar strings while also touching the microphone with my, with my lips. And almost all the time I was getting shocked. Continuously, and so what I learned over time—a little shocks, not anything that would—I mean, but you know, not pleasant, right? Imagine being constantly tased, essentially, in your, on your lips, on your lips too. You know, it's not like on your arm where you could, like, your lips are pretty sensitive, and you're singing, you're trying to sing. So I, I would bring um, those, those pop screens, you know, that little like foam cover that goes over the microphone. I would bring that because it would insulate me from the microphone. Okay. But, it, but I would have to remind myself if I'm touching my guitar, do not touch the microphone at the same time because the electricity would go through my torso <laughs> and, you know, and I just dealt with it because as an, as an artist, often you're just happy to be performing. Right. And you can't yell at the venue because they'll never have you back. So you just have to like adjust to the fact that you're being electrocuted all the time. This was uh, most of the time. I was being electrocuted most of the time on these stages around Seattle. <laughs> so that just gives you a clue, just one data point on how little these venues are being regulated, how little safety is actually happening and uh, accounted for. And like I said, I think it's because our society and um, these venues, they just don't care. Uh, There's just like, you know, uh, I would like to think if I had a venue and an artist, an artist said that they were being tased by my microphone system because I had a terrible power uh, arrangement, I would immediately f- try to fix that. <laughs> but I feel like most venues, they don't give a crap. They're just like you know. They're probably scraping. You know, the, these venues, especially the ones that we played at, these venues are not rolling in dough. <laughs> I think they're scraping by, and so. So anyway, I, in conclusion, about the Astrofest you know, you take my experiences and you times it by a, a hundred thousand, and you get Astrofest, right? Like the fact that these kinds of things happen are extremely familiar to me, and um what we need to do is we just need to have more regulation because you can't depend on capitalists to uh, do the necessary, because to, to provide better safety means you have to spend more money, which means you will not profit as much. So you can't depend on the organizers of these events to take the necessary steps. You have to have, Organizations, you know, the government overseeing. Now, uh, we would hope that we could find competent government oversight because we don't want to drag everything to a halt by red tape. But, but it's really the only way. And, you know, it's not that hard. Uh, like I said, we've been doing these huge concerts for 55 years. Um, there's no reason why a concert in the United States today should have... These sorts of things. In fact, I, and I, I'm not an expert on it, but I, I seem to remember there are engineering solutions to this. Like instead of just having a railing in the front, you know, typically there's just this metal bar in the front. You actually make it so it's it's a ramp, so that as people push, people spill over the ramp, and then you can get those people out. People won't get crushed as easily, right? Um, or you, you know, I, I don't know. There are other ways of because you can't de- you can't depend on a crowd not to act like a crowd. In fact, I would use my experiences in mosh pits as a a way of teaching systems theory that you know uh, we tend to think of ourselves as these individuals, right? That that every, that our lives and our motivations and our behavior are dictated by our motivation, our individual choices. But when we zoom out, we see that that's not true. When you look at your attitudes politically, socially, you're probably a product of those around you. If you were raised somewhere else, it's possible you would have drastically different points of view, especially if you're another part of the world. You might even have a different view of what humans are to begin with. Obviously, religion and politics and all that kind of stuff would, would vary. And so... It are is it us that make the choice about who we are and what we believe, or is it a product of our society? Obviously, it's a combination of both. But the point is, is that when there are social forces, humans have no control over their behavior. You know, you you look at certain things that are happening in the world. You're just like, what's happening? You know, flat earthers. Just kind of these are effects of the system. You know, people don't wake up in the morning and say like, I'm going to be a flat earther they don't just invent that, you know, it emerges, it's an emerging property of a, of a system. And as a demonstration of that visualization of that, I would tell my I don't use this analogy anymore, but back in the day I would, is that in the mosh pit, I, I sometimes I would get out of it and I would watch it. And we didn't call it mosh pit back then, by the way, <laughs> we just called it like slam dancing or, you know, packed crowds. Mosh, the word mosh pit didn't really catch on until the early 90s, I believe. But anyway, I would watch it, and I could see waves occurring through the crowds. And And what I would see is that, like, the guitarist would go to stage right and, uh, you know, sort of loom over the crowd. And then people would kind of want to press in because they want to get closer to the guitarist. And what, I, what you would see would be A few people and, you know, these sort of waves in the people, like a little bit of movement on one side of the crowd would cause the other side of the crowd to completely fall over, you know, little little ripples of effects, you know, because because every time. uh, So I'm not explaining very well, but it's sort of like the butterfly effect you have on one side of the crowd. You have like 20 people who take a step to the right. Because they're trying to see something, you know, all those 20 people. Oh, I want to see that. And they all take a step to the right. The people that they bump into now are they're kind of falling over. So instead of taking just one step, they take two steps because they're trying to catch their their balance. And then those people bump into people and it's a bigger push. And then those people take three steps because they're, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then those people really crash into people, and, and you propagate this movement through the crowd. And on the other end of the crowd, people are, you know, falling over and like being thrown um, out of the crowd. So that I would use that um, to demonstrate how if you're in the middle of that crowd, You only are reacting to little things that are happening to you. You know, someone bumps into you with two steps and then you take three steps. But the end result of all those little steps results in people being crushed on one end of the crowd or falling over on one end of the crowd, being injured. And is it your fault? Who's who's to blame for those people being injured? Well, no one is, but everyone is. It's the system. It's it's how the system is operating at that time. And until you change the system fundamentally, like um, telling everyone to go home, then the system is going to do its thing. And uh, when we look at these kinds of events, we have to take that into account. We can't just say, well, we'll tell everyone to be um, nice you that doesn't work i mean if every everyone could still be trying to be nice and these things could still happen so you have to address it on a systemic level if you're gonna have thousands of people you know in a frenzy you know half cocked on various drugs and they're uh, excited they've been waiting for months to see the certain artist and and it's, you know, their first big concert they've ever been to, and they all have a, a, an invincibility uh, problem because they're young and their prefrontal cortex isn't fully online yet. Then you have to have a ton of systems in place that prevent or, you know, heavily mitigate the possibilities of these kinds of, of injuries happening. And, and I suspect that those measures were not taken because of profit concerns because of lack of oversight. All right, let's take a break and we get back more emails. Hey, Deserving Listeners. As you all know, I am constantly recommending that people go to therapy. We all need therapy from time to time. Well, one of the options available that is definitely worth checking out is BetterHelp. If you're looking for a therapist, I would give it a try by going to betterhelp.com slash Kirk. Make sure you use the promo code Kirk because you get 10% off your first month. And it really helps us out. As you watch these videos, I know many of you have been motivated to find your own therapist, which is great because you deserve it. And I know also that it can be hard to find a good fit, find the right one for you. Well, one of the options available in terms of your shopping is to go to betterhelp.com Kirk. I've been told you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message your counselor at any time. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. I've also been told that it's often less expensive than in-person therapy, and you should know that this service is available to clients worldwide. So go to betterhelp.com slash Kirk to get 10% off your first month today. All right, we're back from the break. So this email from anonymous patron has to do with gaslighting. And they wrote in and said, A few years back, I was in a relationship that felt like gaslighting, but listening to your episodes on gaslighting, I'm not sure if it was gaslighting. This person would repeatedly accuse me of being angry with them when I was not. This occurred very often, not just in the context of arguments, but also seemingly out of nowhere. If I indicated otherwise, they would accuse me of gaslighting them. This was someone who frequently was angry with themselves. Oh, sorry. This was someone who was frequently angry themselves in a way that others would pick up on as extreme to the situation. Additionally, I often observed them misperceiving others as being angry. If I told them that I was overwhelmed, scared or suffering because of their treatment of me, they would tell me that they thought I was exaggerating, being melodramatic, making excuses or punishing them and that I needed to put more focus on controlling my own anger and meeting their needs. I did not perceive them as doing it for for the purpose of messing with me, though. I think they might have actually perceived things the way they described. Years later, I've only recently started recovering my ability to trust my own internal sense of my emotional state with the help of my therapist and other supportive relationships is this gaslighting. End of email. Well, first of all, I'm really sorry you went through this. It was a massive, abusive relationship that you went through, and it it has ongoing negative effects uh, as a result, and I'm also glad that you're in therapy and you have supportive people around you and you are recovering from that abusive relationship. It can take years to recover from such a thing, and I'm glad that you're doing that, um, and so good for you. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that the uh, whenever I hear people accusing each other of gaslighting, I find that it is I've never heard someone use gaslighting in a constructive sense. I've never heard someone say you're gaslighting me and have the other person say, oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry. Like, I've never heard that. The other thing I'll say is I never heard anyone accuse anyone of gaslighting until two years ago ish, maybe three or four years ago before that. I only heard the term gaslighting in the domestic violence, intimate partner violence literature and treatment facilities and professionals, you know, it was one of the effects uh, or one of the tactics of, and one of the effects of uh, abusive relationships. And to hear lay people using the term in a really uh, flippant way, I found it's just distasteful to me because it discounts people that have actually been through it. Um, But Anonymous Patron, I would say, and I'll get into it, you were gaslit. But I I need to – so I've been on quite a journey with the word gaslighting. (laughs) Let me summarize. Uh, At first, I only used it in the context of clinical literature or discussions, and I never heard it amongst the lay public for decades, by the way. Then, all of a sudden, I start hearing people using it in a very flippant way, and I thought – why are you using? Where did you even hear that term? Because it's such a, it's kind of an obscure abuse term, uh, a term in the abusive uh, field and domestic violence field. And so I was like, what's going on? Then I started really hearing it a lot, and I thought, no, 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 people stop using that word. You're, you're not using it right. You know, let me uh, describe the way I've, 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 I've taken some time to figure out what definition I think they're operating from in the lay public. Generally speaking, people are using the word gaslighting to um, uh, refer to like, Hey, you're gaslighting me, meaning that, you know, you're a bad guy, but you keep trying to make it seem like I'm the bad guy. Um, for example, one slice of that is trying to make it seem like the other person is to blame when, when, when they're to blame, you know, someone's trying to make it seem like you're to blame when in fact they are to blame or telling another person how they feel or what they think, you know, like, for example, you keep telling me that I was rejecting you, but I wasn't. And you know that you're gaslighting me, you know, it's like when someone comes at you and is like, you were angry and you're like, no, I wasn't. And the person is like, yes, you were, you were angry. And in this situation, both people will say the other person is gaslighting. So let's break this down, because this is a very common scenario I see in the lay public. So I go to, you know, Bob, for example, Well, Berto, I get in more fights with Berto. <laughs> so I go to Berto and he has been grumpy with me. And I say, hey, you're in a bad mood. You've been grumpy with me. I think you're you're you know, angry at me for something. And Berto says, I'm not angry at you. What are you talking about? I'm totally fine. You're the one that's being angry. And I'll be like, no, you, you know, I say to Berto, you're in a bad mood. You're in a bad mood. You need to admit that. And Berto says, no, I'm not. You're the one in a bad mood. Like I-, I was in a good mood. Now you're yelling at me for no reason. So I would say to Berto, you're gaslighting me because you're angry, but you're ac- but you're telling me you're not. That's gaslighting. That's not actually gaslighting. That's lying. <laughs> We have words for that. It's called lying. <laughs> why? Why do you need to use this, the word gaslighting? You know, or you're deceiving me, or you're trying to trick me. We have words for it. We learn them in grade school. We don't have to use a clinical term wrongly in the situation. Conversely, he would also say that I'm gaslighting him. So he would say you're gaslighting me because you're trying to tell me how I feel when I don't feel that way. So we just throw this word around when. Uh now, in situations where people are using the word gaslighting, it could be a severe situation. You know, someone could be genuinely trying to trick you by saying you're angry when you're really not, and they're doing it on purpose. And that's upsetting and it's bothersome and it could be abusive, but it's not strictly the definition of gaslighting. You know, gas gaslighting is to go so I'll get to the definition in a second. But the the third uh, it, the way I think people are using it is denying something that's obvious, you know, like uh, it's obvious that you're attracted to that person. And the person's like, no, I'm not attracted. And you're just like, it's so obvious. I can see it on your face. You're gaslighting me. Okay. So that's the way people are using it. But the, the definition in the literature is, and this is my compilation of various different definitions, but this is how it's been used is, it's almost always in the midst of an abusive relationship, a partner violence relationship, high control relationship where one partner is, um, you know, for years controlling and maybe violent with, but at the very least, very coercive, very controlling and scary and intimidating. And a part of that uh, campaign of control and intimidation is to go on a campaign to purposely manipulate the victim By psychological means to get them to lack confidence in their own memory, perception, judgment or sanity in general, meaning that the the perpetrator goes on a campaign to get the victim to question their judgment, not only in specific instances, but in general, because if you can get the victim to question their judgment, then you have greater control because you can define the landscape, you control the narrative as the abuser. If the victim doesn't believe they can determine reality, then the perpetrator can define reality for the victim and thus have even more control over the victim. You know, for example, if you're an abusive person, you're psychopathic and s- sadistic, or you just believe you're entitled to that kind of control, then you you know, it benefits you to be able to control the victim's mind such that when the victim says, hey, you're abusing me, you can say, no, no, you're abusing me and turn it around on them. Okay, so that's the strict definition. But over time, I have expanded this definition to two other situations that I I feel are worth it. One is what you're talking about, which I've actually just now, you know, as I was preparing for this um, response, I... Typed out a new de- a new uh, uh, delineation of the definition um, that one I'm going to call purposeful gaslighting, and the other one I'm going to call non-purposeful gaslighting. In that, you can, you know, the, what I described just now was purposeful. Someone is psychopathic, sadistic, entitled, whatever. They purposely go on a campaign to get you to question your reality by. Um, you know messing with your head essentially and uh, controlling you and maybe even beating you if you disagree with them but there i think most situations though there's a non-purposeful it's a similar with um love bombing love bombing and you've heard me do deep dives on that is often described as purposeful but and it certainly can be but uh, in my experience, anecdotally, most love bombing is done non-purposefully. It, it's happening, but it's the perpetrator is not consciously going on a campaign to manipulate someone through um, admiration uh, and gaslighting. In my experience, a good portion—I don't know anecdotally the, the proportion of it—but I would say a good portion is non-purposeful. And and anonymous, your point, your, at least your uh, you know you guessed this is what was happening. You know because one, you, you don't have time to describe to me all the little instances, but we do have an outcome that's clearly a sign of, a, of, a, of something that happened that was an ongoing effect an ongoing experience of being gaslit in that it, you, you've, it's taken years through therapy and corrective experiences with other relationships to recover your ability to, as you say, trust your own internal sense of your own emotional state. Because for years in this abusive relationship, you were broken down. You know, it's one thing to be told something, right? And 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 this is why I don't like it when people use gaslighting in that flippant way. Because if you know you're being gaslit, you're not actually being gaslit in in all likelihood. Because gaslighting, in the way that we use it clinically, is... It's done so effectively in the midst of an overall abusive relationship that the victim doesn't even know it's happening. And that's the insidious nature of, of these kinds of gaslighting experiences is that the victim literally believes that there's something wrong with their brain when there isn't anything wrong with their brain. And uh, they might have glimpses of like, well, wait a second, but it's very quickly um, followed up by or cons- or. Enveloped, you know, the victim is is very quickly enveloped by the control and the intimidation and the fear, and so it uh, has that effect. So I'm I'm adding purpose. So there's purposeful gaslighting, which is psychopathic, sadistic, or something. You know, it's very, very purposeful. That if you asked the perpetrator and they were being honest, they would say, "Yeah, I'm gaslighting that that my my partner." And there's non-purposeful and that the cause of non-purposeful is a distortion in the perpetrator. So the, the perpetrator doesn't know they're gaslighting. They don't even know that they're distorted. But And this is maybe what you're describing, because as an honest speech you're saying, you know, I didn't think that my partner meant to gaslight me, but it had that effect. They, they seemed completely convinced that I was angry all the time and that other people were angry all the time. And I think they actually believed that everyone was angry when people weren't angry. So that's not purposeful, right? That's a distortion. The person has a distorted perception of other people's emotions, often erring on the side of anger from other people when they weren't actually feeling angry. We could absolutely imagine why someone would develop such a distortion, right? Relational traumas growing up where there was hidden anger or threats of anger around every corner. And... Uh, or other kinds of nefarious emotions to them as they're growing up. And they feel as though other people are being angry. They feel, and the word anger is kind of amorphous, right? There's a lot of different, when people say, oh, that person's angry at me, it means a lot of different things. You know, there's actual like anger where the person is hot under the collar. And then some, but some people mean that person's angry at me, meaning they're rejecting me. They don't, they don't like me. They don't like what I'm doing. They're angry at me. And I don't know which one it was. I I suspect it's probably the latter, you know, because it sounds like your previous, your former partner was uh, really worried about abandonment and perceived uh, internal, perceived rejection in your tone or in your actions that wasn't there. And they framed it as you're being angry at me. Maybe even because they learned that if they accuse people of being angry, it would cause some people to be nicer to them, you know? And so they were distorted due to relational traumas and kept accusing you of being angry. And eventually it just broke you down because in this two person system, one person seemed very sure of things and you were maybe less sure, maybe based on your childhood. And so over time you just concluded that you don't know how to judge your own emotions and that had a gaslighting effect on you. So this is what I would call non-purposeful gaslighting. And I kind of wish I could go back in time and redo all those episodes on gaslighting that I've done in the past and kind of include this because I I think for, and I think I did talk about this. You know, I, I would talk about how people would have gaslighting effects. And maybe I even had talked about non-purposeful gaslighting, but I just, I hadn't codified it the way I do now. The third uh Uh, I don't know, type of gaslighting that I and and again, I don't I don't have control over how society or or even my field uses the word gaslighting. And um, I don't I don't have a tremendous need uh, to or desire to control it. I kind of wish I could sort of control it because people have written into me and said, thank you for protecting the definition of gaslighting because I was gaslit for 20 years by my ex-partner and had gone through, you know, recovery and they talked about how I was gaslit and I, it's a part of my narrative, you know, and a part of the meaning of my life that I went through this thing and that clinicians actually had this word for it and researchers had this word for it. And now all these people, you know, in the the lay public are just throwing it around like it means nothing. You know, what I went through was not what they're talking about you know it's like people throwing around abuse right like oh my god that person is so abusive when that person is not being abusive it, it it diminishes the experiences of people who actually have been abused it's like saying oh my god i have i i'm so ocd because i like my desk to be orderly it diminishes people's experience who actually suffer from ocd right so it's not okay it, and uh we're trying to protect victims experiences and their rights and respect for what they went through we we can't just um act you know it's like saying it's like when uh, you'll see people compare themselves to the to the holocaust you know anti-vaxxers right now just like, oh my god we're uh, not all of them but you know some of them are uh, comparing them to jews in germany and poland in, in world war ii uh and of course, victims of Holocaust and genocide around the world—it uh, diminishes and it, it hurts their feelings, and they get angry about. It. And they should get angry about. It. It's ridiculous. You can't just compare yourself to that. It's not the same. <laughs> and to claim that you're being gaslit because your partner, you know, is uh, you're, you're in a you're in a minor conflict with your spouse, and they keep saying. You know, like me and Berto, I keep saying, Berto, you're in a bad mood. He's like, no, I'm not. You're gaslighting me. That's akin to an anti-vaxxer saying that they're similar to Jews in the Holocaust. It's like, no, <laughs> come up with, it's fine if you want to complain, you know, if you're an anti-vaxxer and you feel like you're being controlled by the government or something, you know, just say that I'm being controlled by the government in an unfair way. Okay, fine. just Just don't, but don't say you're like, it's like, Auschwitz or something that, you know, you don't have to exaggerate. You're not helping your argument. And the same goes for gaslighting. Stop using it in that way. But I suspect, like the word literally, our society will change. And 20 years from now, gaslighting will have a whole different definition along the lines of what I think the definition is being used. And it will be codified in the, you know, dictionary and, you know, language changes and that's fine. And maybe we'll come up with a different Term in the clinical world to uh, delineate what I'm going to call actual gaslighting from uh, whatever people are using it today. But anyway, the third um, personal allowance that I'll allow for kind of because because, again, the original definition was that psychopathic gaslighting and I'm sort of expanding it to be non purposeful. And then uh, I'm expanding it kind of pretty far to include this other experience that people would write in where. They're being—it's a non-purposeful, or it's a society. It's sort of like a a systemic. Maybe that's what I call it: systemic gaslighting. Like when uh in the in American society, when you you know affect, you know your sex, you, American society we we live in a sexist society where we believe women are lesser, they're stupider, they're they're weaker, they're lesser. They don't matter. They're dumber, you know, all these things. And when you have those beliefs, uh, and you 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 keep uh, and it and there's effects from that, right? Like women being paid less at the same job. And then when women start to speak up about it, they're just like, "Hey, this is unfair. We live in a sexist society." I'm being, you know, we look at the data and women are being paid less. And, and, and I know there are a lot of other factors as to why different groups of people get paid less. I don't want to get into it, but we do know we live in a sex society because it's clear from the data. And the, you know, pay difference is is a, is a part of that, is a symptom of that. Anyway, and um, are there other factors? Yeah. Anyway, point is, is that um, when uh, women would speak up, the system... You know, there's not one person that's there's not one representative from the patriarchy that steps forward. It's just a general attitude that gets manifested in systems at work or in society or in the news or online or something that says, uh, "Well." You know, that, that that upholds the patriarchy and it's perpetrated by everyone of all genders where uh, particularly by men, because they're self-interested in this and they lack the experience that women go through. But but it's really perpetrated by everyone. And it's in the system where you, uh, you know, people will say, well, OK, yeah, women are paid less, but, you know, um, women aren't as good at that job and people seem really convinced of it. Right. And then, well, other people say, well, it's because women aren't as ambitious as men and so on. You know, there's all these ideas that get uh, that counter the experience, you know, that someone's saying, hey, I feel like this is unfair. And, you know, this doesn't just go for the pay gap. It goes for all, all, you know, like another example, you're in the boardroom and as a woman, you raise your hand to say something and no one calls on you or when you talk, no one really listens or they interrupt you or something. And when you speak up about that, people say like, well, you're not assertive enough or, well, you know, you don't have as much experience as Larry because, you know, Larry's been here a long time. So when he talks, people listen to him and you start to think to yourself, I must be crazy because I feel like I'm being treated unfairly based on my gender. But no one agrees with me and there's no recourse. There's no system in place for me to actually get justice here. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the problem, and of course it can become you know even more pronounced. And it's like an example that someone emailed in for one of the episodes on gaslighting was in the military, that women were treated poorly and abused sexually and all sorts of other ways, and were uh, when they complained, the system gaslit them. It wasn't one person that stepped forward and said, "Ha ha ha!" I'm going to gaslight these seven women who came forward. But it's a system. It's a culture. It's it's little ideas and and uh, fears that the system has the group has that uh, produces the effect of gaslighting victims to the point where they start to question their grasp on reality because they keep bumping up against this amorphous. System that seems so sure of itself. And so it must be, you know, they seem, the system seems so sure of itself and it's been this way for so long. Maybe it's me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I can't, maybe I am making all this up. Maybe I don't even know how to judge fairness anymore. And so I guess what I'll, and I'll type this out as I'm going, I'll call this, um, uh, what did I call it? Uh, societal wait systemic system you know cuz we all ca- we all understand systemic racism and i, I think this is a, a similar uh paradigm so systemic gaslighting i'll call it uh, i'll do my little formatting deal here Oh, uh, how do i do this <laughs> do you, do you like me giving us play by play of my the way i format my word documents um so systemic gaslighting i will uh, so purposeful gaslighting is, you know, to, to go on a campaign to purposely manipulate someone uh, through psychological means to l- make them lack confidence in their own sanity. Non-purposeful, I'm defining as an effect from an abusive relationship that results in questioning one's ability to judge your memory, perception, judgment, or sanity in general. Usually caused by the perpetrator's distorted perceptions due to their own relational traumas. Um, systemic gaslighting, I will... Uh, define as an effect from uh, uh, from a from an from an unfair from an from an ongoing (laughs) do you like that I'm taking you on this journey from an ongoing unfair system of power that uh, results in micro reactions to Calls for justice (laughs) that results in micro reactions, micro counter reactions. How about that? Micro. Well, I don't know if it's always micro counter reactions from the system. Counter reactions from the system to uh, counter reactions to calls for justice. I'll put in parentheses. Sometimes micro. (laughs) So. Uh, so, okay, to calls for justice that are so all-consuming. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll edit this later. So all-consuming, uh, well, so comprehensive that the victim uh, starts to question their grasp. On f- fairness and their own victimhood, yeah, I like that. that's fine I mean uh, but uh, what i what I like that I've done in this episode <laughs> is that I've delineated between purposeful non purposeful, and systemic now, the systemic gaslighting, I think is a good term, even though. It's it's non non purposeful usually. Or at least it's you know, for men to uphold their own power, I'm guessing that they're they're only slightly aware of the fact that they're perpetrating it. And and the other thing is the responsibility is spread out over society, right? And so every male that upholds the patriarchy can say, like, well, you know, I'm just I'm just I'm just going along with the system here, you know, it's not my fault. But of course, every little like I was talking about how the crowds, you know, if, if no one's to blame and everyone's to blame kind of a thing, right? So, the reason why I want uh, why I would stretch the definition of gaslighting because that's not traditionally how it's used in the clinical literature, to systemic gaslighting is because I think that that victimhood of systemic gaslighting is so profound that it justifies that usage in my mind i guess that's that's what i'm also discovering as i'm talking is that if the victimhood of gaslighting genuinely and generally causes people to question their own grasp on reality like in general then then i think it deserves the term gaslighting someone just denying that they're angry when they really are and you're just annoyed with that i don't think that justifies it you know in the moment you're frustrated and you're angry but did it actually is this person going on a campaign to to break you down and or is it having that effect are you starting to overall question your grasp on reality such that you need years of recovery if not then you're overusing the term gaslighting in my opinion now like i said um the word literally has there's all sorts of words that are changed uh, another well i won't go into there well here's one word the word queer when i was a kid queer just meant weird it it didn't mean being gay it didn't mean being um you know lgbtqia it just meant strange you know like look at that queer car look at that queer tree you know it it that's all it meant and and maybe in some circles it meant other things but um for us we used the word queer uh we even used the word gay actually to mean happy gay like in the 70s it was changing of course in certain pockets but we sang songs in you know there are christmas songs i can't remember which one but uh, there are Christmas songs that we would sing in school at you know in concerts that use the word gay as a word for being happy because that's that's what it used to mean you know, and over time uh, then when maybe in the eighties I started hearing the word queer being used as a word for being gay and it didn't mean being gender queer it just meant gay that's all it meant queer queer meant you're gay and it and it meant it as an insult queer was very, very insulting. It was, you know, like the N-word or something. And being gay. To say someone was gay was extremely insulting. And you were not supposed to use that word. You are supposed to use the word homosexual. Then it was co-opted, the word gay, and then eventually queer. And then queer was co-opted not only by the... It, this is my perception of the word. I'm sure, you know, there's other historians or people who might have other perceptions, but this is my perception of how people in my circle, uh, how the word changed over time. Then eventually queer became to include a wide variety of queer identities, what we would call queer, you know, LGBT, trans people, gender, queer people. Um, So words change and that's okay. (laughs) All right. But I think that there should be some discourse around some words. Like I said, I'm not in favor and never will be of people saying, "Oh my God, I'm so OCD" when they like their desk to be orderly, and that's it. They don't actually suffer from OCD. I will. There, I've. I will. And I mean, someone can is free to try to convince me that that's an okay slippage of the definition. But I have I'm, I, I have a hard time imagining there's a justification for that that I'll be convinced by. Similarly, gaslighting. Anyway. All right, y'all. That was a weird episode. <laughs> I thought I was going to answer way more emails, but I basically just talked about AstroFest, the tragediest horror. I mean, so just getting back to the AstroFest thing, I mean, I don't think I really got into it. And you might want to not listen if this is going to traumatize you, but... Well, I don't know if I want to get into it specifically, but I'll say that I have a mild dose of claustrophobia. And what happened there, and I've heard about it happening in other concerts, it's utterly terrifying to think about just being crushed and just squished into this ball, you know, and and piled on and you're screaming and you can't it's a similar thing. I mean, I've experienced this kind of obviously not like that, but I've, I've, I have a glimpse of, of that when people, we, you know, we grew up in a time when there's a lot of dog piling is what we call it. Dog pile. And people would just uh, jump on, on top and, and, and there'd be this huge pile of people and people just kept jumping on. And if you're on the bottom of that thing, like you start to um, black out from lack of oxygen because your, your body is being crushed. And, we do this in football and sports and and just or just horsing around. And I remember learning the hard way that it's not a fun thing. It looks fun from the outside. He's like, "Oh my god, look at all those guys piling on!" But at the core of that pile is someone that is very much suffering to the point where I learned this technique on how to deal with dog piling, which was never lay down so I would always stay on all fours if I was on the bottom and people were piling on I always made sure that I, I I stayed on all fours like I was like a dog you know like I'm on my knees and my hands because if I could manage that I could, I could continue to breathe <laughs> so that tells you how often these kinds of things happened with I guess me and my friends growing up that I learned a technique to stay alive as I was being crushed by bodies above me The other thing was, is I, if I saw a dog pile forming, I quickly got out of there. You know what I mean? Like it was like get out. And the other thing I started doing was telling people not to do it. You know, I I, or do it for five seconds, but don't you know don't continue to pile on and lay because you know it's fine to kind of crush someone for ten seconds, but then you gotta let them breathe. You know. Anyway. So, you know, just imagine what that was like for those people that so many people died because, you know, of the people that were being crushed, only a minority died. Right. I mean, there were so many other people just going through traumas and, and horrific experiences. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I didn't even talk about uh, th- there's a a pretty um clear video earlier in the I talked about how the, there was a press of bodies on a barrier trying to get in at 10 in the morning and it's in broad daylight in Houston and and all these young people I mean they look like I don't know 18 to 22ish or something and they're all <clears throat> trying to they I think they're breaking in to the festival I'm not quite sure I'm not quite sure but maybe they all had tickets and they're just desperate to get I'm not I'm not I don't know I'm sure there's a report of that but they pushed over a chain link fence and by the press of the bodies and a bunch of people fell over on the fence and then, and then people just started rushing in and they're, and they're trampling all these people who were in that first kind of wave that fell over. And then there's all these, there's a few other people trying to pull people out because they're they're in such a, um, you know, press of people as people are climbing over them. You know, maybe that's part of what, the, what Marie was talking about, Maria was talking about, it's like watching that you just you, you lose uh you know faith in humanity. But again, from a systems perspective, there's a whole group of people that have been building up a lot of emotional energy around this festival, right? It's a big deal to them. And this is the the best this is going to be the best day of their life. And the other thing to think about is the pandemic and the fact that A lot of these festivals weren't allowed and a lot of pent-up energy from from these people and maybe even lack of of politeness and manners because, like, just as a side note, when I first started after... Because I was... Me and my wife were extremely buttoned up about the pandemic before getting vaccinated. We were extremely cautious, um, for, you know, all the reasons why you're supposed to be. And thus had for me, almost no contact with humans outside of my house. <laughs> and when I got vaccinated fully, uh, you know, back in, I don't know, March or something. And I started going out into public, I found myself getting annoyed with people very quickly. And after a while I thought, I think, people are doing what they always did, but I'm the difference. You know, people aren't being dicks. I'm the dick. <laughs> and I started to think, Oh, I'm just not used to people. You know, I'm not used to people getting in my way. I'm not used to people, uh, annoying me. And it was uh, hard. So, you know, maybe another factor in the system is the pandemic and, and the lack of, human interaction or festival interaction, you know, just all this pen. Anyway, and the people climbing over, you know, so there's this huge group of people and they, they want to get in the festival and everyone's like, yeah, we got to get in there. And, uh, you know, okay. Well, if we push over the fence, we can just go in there. And, and uh, I don't know if that was happening, but that's, I'm guessing that was a part of it. And as you see people in front of you starting to run in you know all of a sudden you see the fence all you see from your perspective is the fence goes down and then you see people ahead jumping over the fence and running into the festival and you're like i want to be one of those people you know they're doing it and the staff and the police they're not stopping them because they're overwhelmed by the way and this is another systemic problem it's like you didn't have enough security and why did you think a tiny little chain link fence was going to stop, you know, this sort of crowd. But, um, so all you see from your perspective is the fence goes down. You see all these people running. You don't see the people on the ground really, you know, or if you do, you're like, well, they'll, they'll find, they'll get, and you're just like, let's move. And you got people pushing behind you. So you're in this crowd of people. You're like, I want to get in there. I see other people getting in. There's people pushing me from behind and so I'm just going to go with the traffic. I'm going to I'm moving forward, you know, and I want to go forward. Oh, my God, there's people on the ground, but there's people pushing me from behind. So if I want to fall down with them, then I'll stop. But if I stop, I'm going to fall. So I've got to keep going. So I'm going to clamor, clamor over these people and run into the thing. Now, you'd hope some of them would stop and turn around, but maybe they're just like, well, they'll get up. You know, people fall down. Fine, you know. They're the unlucky ones. They'll they'll find a way. So, did because I think a common conclusion is, oh my God, look at those people. They're so callous. They don't care about other human beings. But it's you have to, you know, knowing what we know from the outside, you know, from a God's point of view, they're all doing. They're all contributing to a thing that is causing problems. You know, it's it's like uh, climate change. Most of us are contributing to the downfall of our planet. Even if you're doing a lot to just listening to this right now, you're using electricity, which is contributing to the pumpage of terrible chemicals into our atmosphere, including CO2, which is, which is currently and already has killed many, many species on the planet and destroying ecosystems and is writing our death certificate for the future. We're all participating in it, but how do we change it? So you're in the middle of that crowd uh, in the mosh pit and you're, you know, as you take it, as you're being pushed from the left and you take three steps to the right, you're causing someone to fall over and break their leg, you know, further over in the crowd of people you're to blame but you're also not to blame because you're only reacting to what's happening around you in a rational way. If everyone decided to stand still and not jostle, then no one would get injured. But you but everyone has to coordinate that way. Everyone has to do the exact same thing in the same way that for our climate, everyone has to take everyone has to bite the bullet and there has to be a leader at the top. That coordinates all this in the same way that Travis Scott could have been that leader and said, Everyone take 10 steps back. Everyone calm down for five seconds. Listen to me. Take 10 steps back. And, you know, we can all work together. But you need that leader at the top and you need the populace to follow that leader. We do not have that in our society. And thus, the system will continue to rattle forward with capitalism and consumerism and materialism and massive amounts of misinformation, by the way, that is creating this toxic soup that we call our society when it comes to climate change, and we get the result that we're getting. Are there things happening? Yeah, but not fast enough. And uh, maybe we will manage over time, who knows? But the system has to change, for example, um, for I don't, I don't. I am not a scientist. I don't. I am mean, not a climate scientist. I don't know this stuff. But from what I understand, the way that this is going to work is with renewables, right? Well, I can't make my grid on renewables. I cannot, you know, personally make, and and neither can you, you know. But if we work together and we have politicians that lead and do what the constituency wants, which is you know not destroy the planet, then the, the system is now different. The system is operating on a different orientation right now. Our system in the United States and in a, a large part of the Western world is oriented towards money and economics. It's not oriented towards climate and sustainability. And <clears throat> so if you orient the system toward the right goal, then it will do a different thing. You know, if you tell the crowd, everyone take everyone's calm down, stand still, stop pressing forward, take 10 steps back, the the crowd and you convince the crowd, look, people are hurt in the front and people care. You know, people want to do the right thing. But when you don't provide that, people just operate from their their little standpoint, their little world. And when you're in a crowd and you're you've been waiting you know potentially 18 months to go to this festival and you're all you know jacked up on non-prescription Adderall and you're trying to impress your friends and and y- you want to get cl- as close as possible to the stage cuz you spent you know 150 bucks on a ticket that you know and you worked hard at Pizza Hut to get that money or you begged your parents sufficiently to give you the money and and <clears throat> you're I'm, I'm characterizing the the crowd in a certain way. I, I don't know them, but um, and you're pushing forward, and people are pushing from behind. You're causing the death of ten people up ahead of you, but you're but you're not. You can't be responsible for that. But you're also, as a group, you are responsible for that, including the leader Travis Scott. So, anyway, I'm rambling. <laughs> the point is, is that. You can't yell at Travis Scott. You can. I mean, you you will, and people are. But if you want to change this situation, just suing Travis Scott is not going to solve it. We have to change the system. Just yelling at one politician or Bezos, for example, is not going to change what's happening. You have to change the system. The system has to change, which means that... From top to bottom, the entire thing has to be oriented in a different way. For example, um, like lobbying, for example, because the oil companies and natural gas and all that stuff, because they're already making so much money, and because we have a system that allows those, you know, trillions of dollars to self-advocate by hiring lobbyists, who. You know, and it's you know, it's sort of a complicated system of influence. But you know, money influences, and you can use money to influence, and so, you know, campaign contributions, all that kind of stuff to politicians, and the politicians are the ones who make the decisions. Then you get what you get, because the system allows for that to happen. The system should not allow that to happen. The system needs to change so that you can't allow. Uh, you know, businesses that are raping the planet to influence politicians that, that shouldn't be allowed, right? But how do you do that, right? How do you determine, okay, these people can influence politicians through, con, you know, campaign contributions, but these people can't. We don't really, you know, our system, our constitutional system wasn't, wasn't set up in a time when we needed that kind of asterisk on freedoms. And, and you know, and so it. I'm not an expert on this, but my point is, is that, Thinking systemically allows you to fix a problem. Thinking linearly or within your tiny little bubble, all you're doing is someone is pushing you from behind with two steps and you're taking three steps and you're a part of the mass of humans that is causing death and destruction. Am I making my point? (laughs) Uh, and, you know, when you see it, it's like seeing the matrix. You're just like, oh, you know, this is how we're going off a cliff as a society. I get, you know, and, and all of the the shaming of a particular individual or uh, and the the little things that we do like, oh, I'm recycling. I'm saving the planet. It's like, no, you're not. You're contributing, kind of, maybe, and there's there's even studies that say some recycling does actually is worse for the planet. Um, what needs to happen is we need to stop making so much crap, you know. But what are you supposed to do as a as an individual, right? Um, you try to vote, but if the if the system is oriented towards economics and the money just keeps swirling around, then you know we're kind of doomed. But But then, okay, we're trying to change system by like, what if we made sustainable energy resources economically more feasible than than non-sustainable? You know, how how do we make wind cheaper than oil? You know, uh, then we orient our materialism, consumerism, capitalism in a direction that actually saves the planet. You know, there are things that are happening like that, but it's hard to do. And sometimes you got to pay a lot of tax dollars, right? So you have to have, a, anyway, point is, is um, that's what I'm saying and I need to stop this podcast because <laughs> I'm getting frustrated. <sighs> because, you know, as I say this, I'm like, it's never going to happen. I've been, you know, yammering. And obviously people who actually are in power, a lot of them know this. but And some people even try to change it. And I'm 50 years old, and it's just like it's worse than ever. You know, we're we're more materialistic now than you know when I was a kid. I remember there was tons of talk about how materialistic our society was becoming, and compared to the 70s, you know, the the 70s compared to today, we we were like um, Mennonites in the 70s. Like, the '70s level of materialism is nothing like it is today. It is insane the amount of materialism and the ideas have infected our in my own life. You know, like, um, just as an example, I have like twenty T-shirts. Why in the world do I need twenty? T- well, because you know each T-shirt is a different color, has a different pattern, you know, has has a different like you know stupid little uh, saying on the front or something, and And by the way, you know, I guess I'm contributing to the problem because, you know, I have, you know, this podcast has merch. (laughs) T-shirts aren't the problem. The problem is the system. (laughs) Can you tell it's late? It's like 11 o'clock. All right, people. Um, Hopeful message at the end. Uh, hopeful message. Well, so I believe people are good and Maria, when you l- lose faith, um, I don't, you know, I, 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 when I see the system, I see that people are good and acting on their own self-interest, but they're also good. And, well, I'll say they're mostly acting on their own self-interest, but I think often acting on the interest of other people. You know, people can be very altruistic. For example, when people were being trampled, you know, at 10 a.m. with that fence, there were many people trying to pull people out. You know, those people were just like everyone else. They desperately wanted to rush in and be the first in line at whatever. and But they stopped, you know. And, um, you know, are they so I believe people are good. And if we talk about it enough and we raise enough awareness, then I I think we can affect change. You know, I I think that, and things are changing, you know, we're, we're getting better all the time as a society. Um, I don't know about the climate change part of that, but you know, when it comes to justice, social justice, you know, things, things are getting better. You know, as an example, if you would have told me even in the the nineties that, uh, same-sex marriage would be legal uh, across the United States. You know, I can't remember when it exactly happened. You know, mid 20 teens. Um, I would have said that that's in no way. There's no possible way. I, I think I probably would have said that's that. That's never going to happen in my lifetime. There, there are too many people who are against gay marriage. There, you know, there are too many people. Certainly, there are a lot of people that are for it for sure. But, um you know, because getting a politician to say that they're you know, they might secretly be okay with it, but certainly they're not gonna publicly state that because that's political suicide. Um but things happen so quickly. You know, like uh do I have this right? Like President Obama, who people and he would consider himself to be liberal and social justicely oriented, right? Uh, if I remember right, um, maybe it was gays in the in the military or something. But uh, uh, Obama had had been silent on the issue, had not said how he felt, and then um, Biden actually stated how he felt, and it was pro. It was a pro gay stance, and then Obama and his people had to scramble because people were like, well, your vice president is pro. Are you pro? And then they had to commit as well. My point is, is that there was something that Obama waited to the public state around around LGBTQ people because of the landscape was different in 2010 as it is today. Things have changed for the better. And that is wonderful. And things will continue to change for the better. You know, imagine a day when there's there's just, you know, bigotry is this is around certain issues are just basically non-existent. Um you know i can 't wait <laughs> and so things are good. people are good and uh, uh and there 's a new batch of young people coming up that will that know things you know much better than we did or we do generally so if we put our mind to it, we can change things, and everyone out there, please take care of yourself and take care of others and see things systemically because we all deserve it. we really really do. back.